church, let's give him a big shout. Let's give Jesus a big shout of praise in this place. Come on, we can keep applauding him for a few more moments. A big shout to our Savior. A big shout to our Deliverer. A big shout to the one that comes in to the midst of the storm and says, peace, be still. A big shout to the victor over sin, death, the grave, and hell itself. A big shout to the one who's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, our advocate, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Come on, church, give him praise. You were born to praise him. You were born. He's so wonderful. 
He came himself and died on the cross to save us from our sin. He's so good. (laughs) He's rescued us from darkness, set us free to live this glorious, glorious life. Hallelujah. Wakey, wakey. (laughs) My God, that woke me up, I tell you. That woke me up. I wasn't expecting that. God is so good. He really, really is. Let's thank our musicians. Give him another shout. Applaud him and honor him. He's so wonderful. And I may need a little drink of that water because I'm sounding like a crow already. I haven't even started here. Oh, my goodness. God is good. God is so... Oh, thanks, Paul. God is so wonderful. He really, really is. Hold on one second. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to be in the presence of God together. Hallelujah. These are the days where I tell you now, we're going to experience rich, rich rivers of his presence. We really are. And I'm telling you, I just sense it in my spirit. And I just want to, I just want to kind of just open the door a little for you to see. But I really sense, I was talking to Faye about this just in the week. I sense that we are in for some exciting times in this place. I tell you now, the shout of praise is going to come out of your heart. You're not going to be able to hold it back. You're not going to be able to keep it down. You're not going to be able to suppress it. Even the the hard life conditions that we go through, even all of the stuff that the enemy tries to attack you with and tries to to, to spoil that that beautiful spirit of praise that God has put in you by his, his power, I tell you, not even that is going to hold back this rich reservoir of praise to him and like David you're going to experience him as the great I am and like like just like David said great is the Lord and in response to God's greatness David said I am going to give him great praise I'm going to praise him for his greatness and my praise is going to be great unto God and I really do believe you know it's going to build week after week after week and I think we're going to be surprised at the praises at the praises and you know what's going to happen you're going to find that God's going to inhabit those very praises though like faith said even those broken praises even those praises from a crying heart even those praises that don't know what's going on because it seems like Paul said like a night season those very praises God is going to come and he's going to inhabit them and he's going to be upon them and you're going to know a nearness of his presence amen amen Well, today we're continuing in our series of messages, The Power of Promise. Last week, we started to look at a final point in this series that we've come to, a promise for power. And for a few weeks, we're going to stay on this this last point. We're going to stay with it to see 
how the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus spoke to his disciples about and followers about is to give us power in life so that we can be witnesses for him. That's the whole purpose for this power of the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. It doesn't take a rocket science, scientist to work out. It's very simple. The whole purpose for the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is that we might be witnesses for him. Last Sunday, if you remember, we started out by looking at Acts chapter 1. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, gives us an important background, an important backdrop there in that opening chapter to these men and women receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. He highlights the very last commandment that Jesus gave to his followers and disciples before he ascended to heaven. He told them to return to Jerusalem and to wait there. There they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for him. And one of the things that was happening through their obedience was their greatest place of shame that they would return to, Jerusalem, was about to become their greatest platform for victory and triumph, the very place that would become the epicenter of the church of Jesus Christ. Their greatest place of victory was in Jerusalem. And just months before, that had been their darkest place. Their place of defeat. It's amazing what God can do. It's amazing how God can turn things around suddenly. Tell you now, everything can be in darkness and with one flick of the switch, light can come and pierce the darkness and drive it back. This is what we see happening here. Let me remind you again this morning. As we read Acts chapter 1, verse 8, of this promise of the Holy Spirit's power in their lives. Verse 8 says this, Jesus now speaking. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think Jesus had a pretty big plan. Even though they crucified him, brutally murdered him on the cross as a result of the predetermined plan of God, that did not diminish the vision of heaven for his people to reach their Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. This power would empower them to be witnesses for him. And this is one of the things that we understand from these simple words, these powerful words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Think for a moment about this word that's used 
witness. And think about the role of a witness. A witness is a person who is called upon to give a testimony. And they're called upon throughout our world to bring vital evidence, usually in a court of law. Their role is not to argue. They simply are called upon to accurately relay what they have seen. Oh, that's my ear. What they have seen <laughs> or what they have heard. That's their job. That's their function. They're not called to give their opinions or their bias or how they feel about certain situations, but to speak truthfully. Now, for a moment, apply this to your life. Let's apply it to mine. Think about all the things Jesus has done for you in your life that you're a witness of. Such a great salvation that you've received. You know, in this very room alone, there are hundreds, hundreds of indisputable testimonies of the miracle-working power of Jesus in saving us, in delivering us, in forgiving us, in doing the impossible and the incredible and the unimaginable in this very room alone. There's indisputable testimony of how he has come into the, the, the crises of life and brought deliverance and great help. Many, many testimonies just here alone. Both you and I today can give credible witness to God's saving grace. You can give a credible, truthful witness of God's power in your life to somebody else. You don't have to go on a course. Not the courses are wrong. You don't have to be trained. You know, Jesus spent time, yes, with his disciples for 40 days immediately after he'd risen from the dead before he ascended on high and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. But he didn't send them back to school. He took them out for three years on the job training to see what it was all about. Their lives and their minds were expanded as they saw the power of God come into impossible situations and bring immediate change through the power of God's Spirit. You and I can give credible witness that is undisputable to God's unconditional love for our lives, His ever-present care, His peace that passes understanding, his deliverance from fear, the eternal hope that we have in our heart that is brought together through the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to confidently go forward even with an expectation beyond the grave we will live forever in his presence where there will be no sadness or sighing or sorrow and he will wipe every tear from our eye. This is our expectation of hope and it's there as a result of being born again supernaturally by the power of God and filled with his spirit. You're a witness. You're a witness.
You really are. You really are. And what a great title that is. It's the greatest function. It's the greatest title that a person can hold along with being a servant as you serve others, as you witness for him. Many of us have received miraculous healing in our bodies. Testament to God's power. Testament to God's goodness. We're witnesses of all this, of his goodness, of his favor. And this word witness that Jesus uses in relation to the role that his disciples and followers would have as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit is one of the most prominent words throughout the book of Acts. It describes their actions, their passion to share Jesus to anyone and everyone, wherever they were. Wherever they were in life, it mattered not. The underlying passion of their heart that was empowered by the Holy Spirit was just to gladly tell everyone that they met about their Savior and Lord, Jesus. Everything was secondary to their personal testimony. They weren't, you know, walking concordances or theologians with, with letters behind their name. Nothing wrong with that. If, if, if that is what God has called people to. But these were just common people. Everyday people like you and me. And what a joy it was to witness and to tell others that Jesus had forgiven their sins, risen from the dead, and now was living in their heart by faith through the power of his spirit. Peter in Acts chapter 4 really describes very powerfully and very simply what a witness is and what a witness looks like when they witness for Christ. Both Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 had been arrested and they'd been told very sternly not to speak about Jesus. But Peter's response to that harsh rebuke from religious officials was crystal clear when he answers in Acts chapter 4 verse 20 with these words, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It's really simple. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's what witnesses simply do. If you've been coming here this morning for a very deep message, it doesn't get any deeper than this, I can promise you. This is what a witness does. This is what they do. They speak of the things which they have heard and seen. Let's not live in silence. Let's be a people that speak up. Speak of the things which you have seen and heard in what he's done for you in what he's done for others, in what he is doing for you. We can't live in silence. Just imagine if Peter had have 
chosen to silently walk by that lame man by the gate beautiful in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were on their way to the temple. There was a, a lame man by that beautiful gate who had been begging all day. And when you read Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, you will see that by the time that Peter and John had got there, tens of thousands of men had passed him, had ignored him, had silently walked by, not Peter. Not Peter. Why? Because he was a witness. He was a man who had seen and heard what Jesus had not only done in his own life, but what Jesus was ready to do to a waiting, hurting world. Peter stopped. The man asked for some spare change. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, Peter fixed his gaze on him. And he responded by saying, silver and gold, I don't have. But what I have for you, I'm going to give to you. Get up in Jesus' name and walk. The man, hey, the man jumped to his feet. His ankles were strengthened. And the Bible says this, right? He began leaping and jumping and praising God. Well, you would, wouldn't you? You would. He began leaping and jumping and praising God. Why? Because he had been lame from his mother's womb. And from Acts chapter 4, it's either Acts chapter 3 or Acts chapter 4, we know that this man was over 40 years of age. This was a notable miracle. This was something that could not be hidden away in the corner. The guy holds on to Peter and John and he just goes, they go into the temple and he begins to explode in praise to God and, and men come running to Peter and John and they can't believe what they are seeing because just 10 minutes before, they'd seen him as they saw him daily because they went to the temple three times a day on the hour of prayer. They saw him daily and now he's declaring the praises of God in the sight of them all. Leaping, dancing, praising God. What did Peter do? He didn't say, I did it. No, he was a witness. So he had to truthfully reply what had happened. And he began to tell them about Jesus. And he, he got very pointed with them. He said, you've crucified him on the cross. But, you see, he offered them a way out. You did it in ignorance. We all did it in ignorance. These men, what shall we do suddenly? There's 5,000 men now added again to the church, receiving, receiving their Lord and their Savior from one man's testimony, from one man's miracle, because one man decided to open his mouth and respond and speak and bring glory to God. It's amazing. It's amazing what can happen when we simply stand in, in our place and be a witness. You'll be amazed at what God will do through you in the days to come, in the months to come. You really will. 
Now, just like them, our witness starts in our Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem may be in our office where we go to work every day or in that engineering workshop or warehouse that we're in hour after hour. It could be we serve people, customers in a supermarket. It could be that we attend to people in a cafe. Our Jerusalem could be the place where we go to school or where we go to university. It's where we are socially with people in the company of others. And our Jerusalem is not a place that we just skirt around or to silently pass through on a daily basis. We've been placed there. We've been positioned there because there's people there that God loves, that God is striving with, that God wants to reach. Embrace your Jerusalem like they did as they returned. Embrace your Jerusalem with a new expectation, with a new enthusiasm, expecting God to answer your prayer. Pray there. Wait there. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit there and glorify God in your Jerusalem as you encounter him. I, like you, over the years, have probably met people who want to go to the ends of the earth to witness for others. When Jesus just wants them to maybe go to the end of their street or visit the neighbor next door or possibly go to the end of an aisle in Tesco to meet somebody who's lonely and at the end of their tether, who just desperately needs an encouraging conversation to lead them through and to help them in their day. You see, your Jerusalem, my Jerusalem, is where we are right now in life. So don't move away from it. Stay there in an attitude of prayer. You're not called there to argue, to fight, to bicker, to get angry. You're just there to truthfully testify about what you have seen and heard. Stay in an attitude of prayer with a readiness to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in order for God to do what only He can do. Read a true story recently about man who asked to meet with a missionary board. And at the meeting, he gave a great speech about how passionate he was to be a missionary and how he desired to reach the ends of the earth, just like Jesus had commanded. Everybody in the meeting was excited, of course, to hear his passion. Then one leader wisely asked, it's great to hear how you want to go to the ends of the earth for Jesus. It's commendable. But can I ask you, what are you doing here for Jesus at home? Oh, he replied, not much really. 
There's nothing much to do around here. The leader who raised the question gently but frankly responded by saying, well, please, for God's sake, don't go overseas because we don't want to export who you are here over there. In stark contrast to this, I read a story about another lady. She was 80 years of age, a blind lady who prayed to God one day about her life. Lord, she said, you know I've, how I have served you with all of my life, doing what you asked me to do when you asked me to do it. Please now, take me home. My job is done here. I've done what I can do. Gently, the Lord whispered back into her heart. No, no. I'm not taking you home. I've still got a good work for you to do. Not long after this, it came into this blind lady's heart to reach for a braille telephone directory. And on from that day, every day, this blind elderly lady started to go systematically through that telephone directory, starting with the A's in the directory. She began calling and phoning people every day, witnessing to people, person after person, about Jesus, telling them about his love. She did that. For the next nine years of her life. And at 89 years of age, this blind lady who picked up her phone one day and used her braille telephone directory to call people had personally led over 3,000 people to Jesus through one simple phone call after another. At 80, at 80, she was blind and housebound. And in her mind, her journey had come to an end. But instead of being limited by her life conditions, the Word of God came through in the power of the Holy Ghost and broke through those limitations and used them as a very means, as a very platform for her to be a witness. One simple phone call done in faith was the bridge through which people could cross from death to life. She didn't despise her Jerusalem. She used it for God's glory and was victorious in it. You know, as a church, we always want to be faithful in our Jerusalem. Don't despise that job. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I know there can be all kinds of things that are trying to drive you out of that position and that place that God has put you. But ground yourself down in him. Stay stalwart as a witness and as a light for him in the darkness all around you. 
Let's be faithful in our Jerusalem, in our locality, in our everyday, because God has positioned us there with our families who constantly rebuff the invitation, who constantly argue and object to the simple witness that you give. Bring them now. No need to argue. You faithfully witnessed. You faithfully spoken about your love for Jesus and his love for them. Bring them now. Before the wonderful throne of grace, you're going to obtain mercy for them in their time of need. And you mark my words, they're going to turn, man. They're going to turn to the Lord. We're not going to despise our Jerusalem. It doesn't matter how defeated we might have been in it. It doesn't matter how rejected. It doesn't matter how many mistakes we've made or how people have mistreated us and not agreed with what we've said. It doesn't matter. We're not going to despise it because we're not moving from it because there's a wonderful work for us to do for God in it. Now, as we continue on today, there's just another important aspect in this picture that I want us to see that the Apostle Paul actually brings to our attention. Years later, the Apostle Paul spoke about the 40-day period of when Jesus was with his disciples and followers. And even though Paul, the Apostle, was not there or present during that time, his remarks to the Corinthian church are important. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people during that 40-day period after the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5 and 6, is where Paul cites this detail by saying this. Verse 5. He, Jesus, was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Paul, looking back to that time, immediately after Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, before he ascended in that 40-day period, understood that not only did Jesus appear to the 12 and a few others, Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people and gave them infallible proof that it was him who had risen from the dead. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that Paul mentions this, that during this period, this 40-day period before the ascension, that Jesus would have appeared to over 500 people? Well, it indicates that Jesus' command to remain in Jerusalem was heard by more than 120 people who were there on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. And if that's the case, over 380 people were missing. They were missing from their divine 
appointment. They'd heard the same command. Jesus said, return, wait in Jerusalem until the promised Holy Spirit comes. This command was from their risen Lord, from their risen Savior, the very one that they had seen die and suffer so horribly on the cross. Now he was alive and now was going to move things powerfully forward in bringing into being this new covenant church that was going to be birthed in Jerusalem. They heard this same command. They heard this same call. Why weren't they there? Well, maybe their priorities had changed. Other things had crept in to counter his command, as they often do. Even after seeing and experiencing many infallible proofs that Jesus had risen from the dead, his command was not a priority to them. Maybe fear kept them away. Maybe the cost was too great to go back to that city. Others could have succumbed to distractions and the many different diversions that come in just any given day that life brings. Think of it. Heaven was about to break over earth. The very breath of God was about to come in the power of the Holy Spirit and empower them to be witnesses. And over 380 people were not there that Jesus had appeared to. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we know that 120 had gathered together in one place. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 2. And just really for the rest of the morning, we're really in the closing moments now. Really for the rest of our time that we have, we're going to focus on this one verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. What an amazing moment. What an amazing victory just to get back there to that very place. Amidst all of the fears, amidst all of the feelings, amidst all of the memories, through all of the distractions that came their way that could have been very well legitimate, they'd got to their place where Jesus had commanded them to go. They'd received teaching for 40 days, and now in that final 10 days towards the fulfillment of Pentecost, they were there waiting, patiently praying together in that upper room, 120 of them. They didn't look around the room and start complaining and thinking, where's the other 320 that heard this same command? No, they were full of expectation. They were faithfully obeying in faith the very words that Jesus had spoken to them just some days before, and they were ready to receive the promise of heaven that was coming and that was about to break into their world and enable them to be the witnesses that he had called them to be. 
just two months before, these leading apostles in that room were divided. They were so far from being in one accord. They were arguing who's the greatest. Listen, there's hope for us. There's hope for every single one of us, I tell you. Aren't you glad that God gives us a million and one chances? He never gives up on us. He really doesn't. He sees all the flaws and all the failings of every single one of us. And I'm at the front of the queue. But he never gives up on us. He gives us a million and one chances. They'd been arguing who was the greatest just two months before, grappling and competing with one another. Who's going to have the best seat in the kingdom next to Jesus? Well, I tell you something now. I want to be on his left-hand side. And the other brother said, well, if you're going on the left, I'm going on the right. Arguing like little children over who was going to be the greatest and the best and the most prominent. Who was going to have the best seat? And even when they had an opportunity to wash one another's feet, they just folded their arms and let the bowl pass by. They didn't want to serve one another. They made promises to Jesus that they broke within hours. They were divided. They were abandoning one another, angry with one another, infighting, complaining. I mean, you're talking about Everything wrong was going on, but Jesus brought them together, Amen. and he kept them together as he taught them about God's kingdom that was very different from the kingdom that they had grown up in. And in this time, at this moment, Everything was about to gloriously change as they waited and as their heart became one. Their heart became one together. Luke said, Acts chapter 2 verse 1, if you noticed, they were in one accord, in one place, in one accord in one place. All those discordant wrong notes that were sounding off for so many years had gone. All of those ugly attitudes, pointing fingers, pity parties, position hunting, personal self agendas had been left, put aside. Finally, they were free like their Savior, free to look at one another as he looked at them, free to appreciate one another for who God had created them to be and called them alongside to be together, finally, in one place, they were in one accord. And that, that, yeah, that as well.
that made them ready for anything for the for the presence of God to so richly richly come and empower them the phrase one accord that Luke uses in Acts chapter 2 and in other places to describe believers is the rich Greek word homothumadom. Now, I had to practice that all day yesterday. Are you ready now? Shall we say it together? Are you ready now? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little practice, and then we're going to say it out loud, all right? Homothumadom. Are you ready now? Are you ready now? After three, nice and loud. One, two, nice and loud. One, two, three. Homothumadom! My God. We're all Greek scholars. Fantastic. Homothumadom is the rich Greek word that Luke uses that means one accord. It means to have one passion, one mind, to be unanimous in agreement. This word has musical roots and describes how under the hand of a skillful musician, many different notes can be brought together and harmonized in time, pitch, and tone. You know, Faye and I, you might not, you might not know this, you might not even believe it, but Faye and I love to go to watch the orchestra. We love it. We love to watch an orchestra play. In fact, next Friday or this Friday coming, we're going to see one. But it's such a great experience. And what's really striking when you see an orchestra play is all of the different instruments all coming together in harmony to create such an incredible symphony and sound of music. The instruments are different and unique, not only in their sound, but also in their size and in their shape. Some of them look really unusual. Yet with all that variety and difference, there is order as they play in time. Every member of the orchestra respects the role of the other and their contribution. All different, all unique. All have admiration for one another, for their abilities, for their talents, for their differences. No one's higher than anybody else. The 80 or so musicians all have one focus, to play in accord, one accord, under the instruction and the direction of the conductor. And he, with them, follows the musical transcribed before him. And their one accord together is harmonious, is sweet in its sound. Just imagine for a moment, if one rogue or rebellious musician wanting to do their own thing turned up with a different music score, well, it would be very embarrassing. I'm going to play this score tonight. I mean, they're playing something from Bach. 
Not that I know much about Bach. And he turns up with his music score from fame. Fame, I want to live forever. I want to live for this guy. Hi, I want to live forever. I don't know, no, 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 fame. It's not going to work, is it? I mean, the 79 musicians are all playing Bach. And he's rocking up with his trumpet, <laughs> playing fame. I mean, who's the one that looks stupid? It's not the 79 who are playing Bach. It's the one trumpeteer who's playing fame. Let me just ask James to come for a moment. I've done this illustration a long time ago. Come on, let's give James a fantastic round of applause. Oh, our musicians are such a blessing, all of them. Diane on the, on the keys this morning. Wonderful. Listen, I can't go right, I can't name everybody because it's not fair, but now James is playing in a chord. Isn't that lovely? This makes you want to nod off. Just have a rest in the Lord a minute. It's, it's beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing how James can use the keys and all of those different notes and skillfully with his hands blend them all together. What a beautiful, harmonious sound. This is what Luke was talking about that was happening in the upper room two months before. It wasn't like that, but on this day, there they were, homothumadom. Homothumadom. We could write, we could write a hymn about it. Homothumadom. One accord, one purpose, in unanimous agreement. Jesus has risen from the dead. We're ready to receive his power. We're waiting now, just like he said. Oh, we're not bothered about all of that old stuff about who's going to sit here and who's going to sit there. Peter, can I wash your feet? I love you. Of course you can. Can I wash yours? Yes, you can. Sorry for being envious about you, Peter. When Jesus said you were the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, you got that straight from God. Oh, man, but I tell you what, I couldn't sleep for a week thinking that you were the greatest and we were the least. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all right. It's fine. I've received his forgiveness, and he loves me just like he loves you. You remember, I cursed him. I fled from him. I didn't want anything to do for him. So listen, don't beat yourself up. We're all recipients of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Let's just be together and enjoy this moment. One, one accord. They'd finally got there. This one accord when you look through not only the Acts of the Apostles, which you see it a lot, but you look through the letters of the Apostles, it was a priority to operate in every church. 
Paul would go on to say, I want you to be of one mind, of one heart, and of one spirit. And he would repeat it over and over again because he knew that it was the lifeblood of growing churches. He knew that churches and the people of God, if they were going to impact their world and if they were going to break through and cut through the darkness that was all around them, they needed to be in one accord, in unanimous agreement about what they'd experienced in Christ and to be a witness in their world. Just imagine if there was one rogue note. Do you want to play a couple of rogue notes there, James? We're not going to hang around very long. We're not going to stay together. This can happen in homes, in marriages, in workplaces. In fact, one of the Old Testament prophets said, how can two walk together lest they agree? There's got to be agreement. That's in the Bible. You won't walk together in that. You won't, I won't, nobody will. But it's in one accord. It's in one accord that we find our strength, that we find agreement, that the church is built, that the church shines into a broken world, into a discordant world. That's what's inviting. And I'm so glad, honestly, as pastor here, along with Faye, and along with the elders in the church, Paul and Dave, we are so glad that there's an accord in this place. Now, there are times, there are times where one of us might be sounding off a rogue note. Do you know what we've got to do in moments like that? We've got to go to our brother and our sister. Help them. It could be a rogue note of bitterness. It could be a rogue note of pain. It could be a rogue note of frustration. A rogue note of anger. And you can hear it. You can hear it. You hear the sound of it. You say, hey, listen. Please, can I help you? Can I pray for you? And immediately they might want to avoid it. There's nothing wrong with me. Like we do. We do. Listen, I've sounded rogue notes off. Of course I have. Absolutely. But you learn. You learn. Peter sounded a rogue note off. After Jesus, you know the, you know the scripture. After Jesus said to him, Upon this rock, my God, this revelation has come to you from heaven, Peter. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There was an accord between Jesus and Peter about his mission to build the church. And then suddenly a rogue note kicked in from Peter as Jesus began to give them another revelation about himself in relation to his suffering and his death. And Peter, 
immediately began to rebuke Jesus. Call him aside. That is not going to happen. And Jesus had to correct Peter, bring him in line. It was hard. It was hard. Did Peter get It took Peter a long time to get over that one. But that's what we're here to do, to help one another. And to help each other, even with those rogue notes in our lives. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. Listen, it doesn't matter how long it takes. Stay with your brother. Stay with your sister. Like Paul said, there's many seasons under the sound, under, under, under heaven. There's the up seasons, the down seasons, and in them all, we see each other through. Finally, I'm going to close by saying this. You might not believe this, but I used to be able to play the guitar. Jeff used to play the guitar. I was a good guitar player. And um, I used to, uh, used to live, my, live with my grand, grandfather. I, used to, I didn't want an acoustic. I wanted electric because you could turn it up louder. Marshall amp. And I used to say to my, because my grandfather was an accomplished musician, really good. He could play several instruments. I used to say to my grandfather for a bit of encouragement, Gramp, what do you think to my, my guitar playing? Do you know what he used to say? My boy is like a cat peeing on a tin. I kid you not. My boy, it's like a cat peeing on a tin. I was so dumb. I thought he was paying me a compliment. Thank you, Grab. Thank you for that. It's only 15. How's the guitar coming on? They'd ask me in church. I was in a church in Merthyr. How's the guitar coming on? Well, my Grab thinks it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, he said it's like a cat peeing on a tin. <laughs> oh, that's it. Keep practicing, they'd say. Keep practicing. They wouldn't let on. But you know what I discovered? This is what I discovered. It's a real profound lesson. I had to actually tune my guitar. I had to tune it. Those discordant notes, those discordant strings had to be tuned. And after 15 years of playing... One day I learned how to tune my guitar. <laughs> and finally, James allowed me to play on stage. Now, usually I turn my volume down and just mimed and let the other guitarists do all the solos. And people would come up to me and say, God, you can play the guitar well? I said, no. The volume is down. I can play it really well when the volume's down. I'm awesome. Play behind my back as well. But I had to tune my guitar, right? Listen, listen. Without the Spirit, there's discord in every one of us. But with the Spirit, He helps us tune up. Tune up. The Word of God the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, we can keep our lives in tune, amen, and we can retain this beautiful spirit of one accord so that we can be a witness to our 
world. It doesn't remove our diversity. It doesn't remove our diversity. Not at all. Never want to lose that. But it keeps us together harmoniously, unanimously following Jesus together. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to pray. Come on, let's give God thanks for his word. Lord, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word, your help. Lord, we pray that as we are in our Jerusalem this week, even though we might be afraid, some of us, to go back there, because of what's happened, Lord, we go with your help, knowing that you're with us. Lord, I thank you that we will be witnesses for you in our Jerusalem. Maybe we need to go to the end of our street, the end of an aisle in Tesco, to meet somebody there that needs just a, a word of life from from you. You just want us to simply testify as to what we have seen and heard. Refer to all of the wonderful good things that you've done for us so that others might open the door to you for those very wonderful things, salvation, and much, much more to occur for them too. As we go from this place today, we thank you. What a privilege it is to be laborers in this wonderful harvest. Let us come again to this place filled with rejoicing, returning to this one place in unanimous agreement about your goodness, living in one accord with one another, praising your name and seeing many, many one to you, just like those early disciples did. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Why don't we stand to our feet and sing just before we go. Have a wonderful week. God bless you.